Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart, a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. Let's start here, where I think the answer begins for everything and everybody in the place of acknowledgement. Indigenous peoples in this country have taught me the most about what acknowledgement truly means. So everything that I've created for you happened here on Treaty 7 land, which is now known as the center part of the province of Alberta. It is home to the Blackfoot Confederacy, made up of the Siksika, the Kainai, the Pikani, the Tatina First Nation, the Stony Nakoda First Nation, and the Métis Nation Region 3. It is always my honor, my privilege mostly, to raise my babies on this land where so much sacrifice was made, and to build a community, invite a community in, talk about hard things, as we together learn and unlearn about the most important things, that we were never meant to do any of this alone. Welcome back. Welcome in, uh, everyone, to um, Everyone Comes From Somewhere. Today is a conversation uh, that has become one that has changed even from the initial idea that we had to sit down. Uh, Today is a couple that uh, I want you to get to know a little bit because I think they will inspire you beyond belief. I think that um, I've watched this hero unit navigate some things from afar, and I've been lucky enough to get to know them a little bit uh, over the last few months. And when I asked them, first of all, to come on the podcast, there was lots of different conversations that we intended. And today we're going to dive into some hard stuff around what it means to really truly handle some resiliency. And so if you are prepared for um, a heart-filling, potentially heart-wrenching and joy-filled journey, buckle up because today, ladies and gentlemen, Lorne and Lindsay Miller are with us. (laughs) And uh, so here's my background. Uh, Lorne is a firefighter uh, with the Calgary Fire Service here in Alberta for the past 16 years. He's now uh, plays the role of a resilience officer, which means he's responsible for the mental and physical resources from members uh, either on or off duty. So you can imagine this. um, This is just beyond everything that I think the world needs right now. And I'm so excited to jump into that. Uh, Lindsay uh, originally hails from Vancouver and started out as a social worker, and uh, then she transformed quickly into a social work job as a wedding photographer, because I can't imagine any 
other form of photography that needs a social worker more than wedding photographers. And uh, then uh, amazingly talented and um, transformed that into sort of a family um, a photography, a photography business. And now, uh, is the, um, founder of a company called substance art. It's a social media content for all sort of sizes of companies. Um, they have two babies, almost eight and almost five. And as a family, they have navigated a difficult cancer diagnosis for Lauren over the past couple of years. Um, it has reared its head now three times. Um, and we're going to dive in today a little bit around, um, just where they came from and what has brought them to this place. And so, uh, guys, I start every podcast by talking a little bit about the fact that um, we are way more alike than we are different. And that I think the basis of all judgment, our ability to, to, to be in judgment of other people can be so quickly deflated with empathy. And often it becomes the context, the stories of where we all come from that gives us that sense of, okay, we got this. And I want to know a little bit about both of you. I mean, I know the big conversation right now has been about, you know, for sure, first responder families and resilience and and, uh, fucked up cancer world. Um, But tell me, uh, where do you come from? Lauren, start with you, Linz, and then I want to know your story. Where do you come from? And answer that however that lands for you. For sure. Yeah. And and thanks so much for for giving us the opportunity to come and, and spend some time with you. Um, it's such a wonderful, wonderful honor for us to do this. So um, we really, truly appreciate that. Um, as as for where I'm from, a um, bit of a bit of a you know boring background, I guess you could say, but a humble. Um, born and raised Calgarian, um, I grew up with a wonderful family uh, here in Calgary. Um, like many kids, I wanted to uh, be a hockey player, so that took me to the uh, West Coast, uh, Vancouver Island, where I, I played a year out there. Um, that's happened. That was in 2001 when September 11th happened. Um, and I had just been cut from the hockey team that I was trying out for. So I was sitting on a stranger's couch, uh, watching September 11th unfold. Um, and it was a bit of a defining moment in my life because as I watched all the people run away from the buildings on September 11th, I saw all the firefighters running towards it. And I thought to myself, that's what I should be doing with my life is, um, I should be a helper. So on that day, I decided that I wanted to be a, a firefighter, and, and that's when that journey began. Uh, I came back and um, went to Mount Royal University, which is where I met my lovely wife, Lindsay, um, and I joined the fire department shortly thereafter, and that's where I came from. Wow. That's like the quintessential firefighter hero bullshit. I, yeah. was, I was watching the New York firefighters yeah, that's rush right. in and I was like, oh, put me in coach. Yeah. Well, the coach just cut me. He was like, you're shitty at hockey. <laughs> oh yeah. So oh yeah. Right, 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 right. <laughs> what else can I do? You yeah, were like, so let I me can... show you. I'm going to make a real difference. Yeah, oh, exactly. I love exactly. that, man. And, yeah. and family still in Calgary, like do you have siblings. Yeah. How does that fit for you? I have, I have yeah. an older brother and he's got uh, two kids and they live 10 minutes from here. And then my parents are still in our childhood home which is 15 minutes from here. So I still um, see and talk to them very regularly, which is, which is a wonderful, wonderful blessing for, you know, both myself and Lindsay in our situation and, and especially for our kids as well. So yeah, life is, uh, life is pretty darn good. Yes. Oh my gosh. I love it. Okay. Miss Lynn, give me the story. Well, mine is not as heroic as that. <laughs> um, I grew up in Vancouver, same thing, kind of boring up, but I have two amazing parents. Um, I have a younger brother. He's in Prince George, um, born and raised on the North Shore, 
like that's that's a beautiful spot on the uh-huh. planet. And moved here shortly after high school to go to university for social work. Um, there I met this guy and decided that Calgary was, wasn't so bad. So we, <laughs> we set up shop here and then I actually moved back to Vancouver to go to photo school when I decided that social work wasn't my forever career. And so I went back to Vancouver for, um, photo school for a year. And then when it came back to, um, where we could afford to set up our life and, and buy a house and where a lot of our social network was, was here in Alberta. So we, uh, we set up shop and I've been here since, well, originally since 03, but now moved back, bought a house, started our life in 2010, I guess. Gosh. Okay. And you, do you get back often? We do. My parents still, still live BC. in North Shore and um, they have a beautiful property on the Sunshine Coast that we get to spend a lot of time at. So we go there a ton in the summer and then and then a little shack in the woods in Squamish, BC, which we also love. So we spend a ton of time out there. Oh, amazing. Okay. So I would love to dive in a little bit around this world. Where when you where did you meet? Like, I love this that you're like, we're both at university and then we met and like, then, like, I want to know how this happened. Like, did you, did you see like this guy who was going to be a hero and save the world? And you were like, oh, no, no, God, no. I was so, I was such a. Both of them were like, no. no. This was, yeah, we were both going to university, but we both worked um, at Mount Royal Recreation. Okay. Yeah. We worked in the intramurals program and I actually got an email in the summer knowing that I would be working there again come fall um, from a guy named Lauren. And I had never heard the name Lauren before. And so I was like, what kind of name is Lauren? And then I met him like a month later and I was like, oh, he's pretty cute. <laughs> he's got a funny name, but he's pretty handsome. Got pretty it. Cute. So yeah, that oh. we started dating when we were working together. No, no, and- no, 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 no. Slow it down. So <laughs> okay. you you get it. You get the, you get the, the email. And you're like, okay, interesting. And so you meet him and he's like, huh, he's got a cool name and his name's Lauren. What did you think? What, how did this go down? You had to send an email. You had no idea who she was. Yeah, I was trying to wrangle up some of the, the summertime employees that were um, off campus for the summer. And so, yeah, I sent all these emails to, to strangers or whatever, trying to wrangle them up for the, for the fall because we were trying to run the intramural sports program. Yeah. And um, she came back and, and yeah, I, I remember, I very vividly remember the first time I, I saw her um and i was just like geez okay yeah let's hopefully she's on the team <laughs> you know like, <laughs> what and, do we gotta do yeah to yeah exactly. this one yeah exactly and then so we started working together for a couple months and then this is a really funny story um for our very first date um so who made the first move like who's who's like neither one of us well neither one of us for months yeah so the, our very first date we went to a friend of ours uh, a friend of mine's uh wedding and Lindsay was actually my third string option so I had two other people before oh. her and she knows us and it's okay. And we've, 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 Oh God, we've, I, I'm not going Ah, I'm like, kind of yeah. like, gee, you just had him lined up Miller. Like, geez. yeah, well, I did. I was like, and when I was getting shut down and then Lindsay came into the office and um, <laughs> I was working at the computer and Lindsay peeled into the office and I, and I just didn't even like look up my head. I was sitting on the screen and I looked over my shoulder and I was like, Hey, uh, do you want to come to a wedding tomorrow night with me? And she's like, yeah, with zero hesitation. She's like, yeah, what time are we going? And I was like, awesome. We're in. <laughs> And then pretty much literally, you know, and it was really funny because at that wedding, we didn't really know anybody there. So it was a really good opportunity to get to know each other and chat throughout the night. And we actually set up a whole scheme where we pretended that we were married and like put on fake wedding rings and like came up with this crazy story. (laughs) Like we're going to tell people that we're married and all all this sort of stuff. 
and not one fucking person asked us a question all <laughs> night. So we sat there with these fake wedding rings on and all this stuff. And then we just went Stop. home. And then yeah. you went home. Yeah. Oh my and gosh. And then, yeah, we've kind of been hanging out ever since then. So that is awesome. Yeah, so and how- 19 years ago. Like, oh. that's <laughs> who does that? Who, who, where did you get fake wedding rings? Like just at well, Walmart? I just had like a shitty band on that like dudes wore back then. You know what I mean? Like a silver ring and put yeah. it on my finger. And then I can't remember what she put on, but regardless, nobody talked to us. So it was just like, that was a waste of time. <laughs> but I like. Funny date. <laughs> oh, that makes for the best day. You're at a wedding. You're pretending you're married. Did you? Okay. So tell me if you, if I take you back to that wedding, were you like, obviously you already had the rings on, but were you like at any point going like, huh, this actually could come to fruition here. This fella. Yeah, we both, well, we both had crushes on each other yeah. for sure. And so this was like technically our first date and we were just rolling with it. But then we did, we didn't really date for a while. We just a while. <laughs> hung out. I'm, yeah, I'm a bit of a dud. So I was just like, took me a long time. It's got square wheels. <laughs> square wheels. <laughs> right. <clears throat> so it was like a bit slow. Uh-huh. A bit slow. Yeah. And then you got to figure it figured out. And then and then this decision happens. When when does fire school come into this? Are you already a firefighter at this point? Uh not no, that time we we both graduated from Mount Royal. Um, I worked there for a bit shortly after graduation, knowing that I wanted to get into the fire department. Then we moved in together. Um, and then I, I, uh, got on the fire department in 2007 and by then we were living okay. together and that's when things really, really kicked off. Right. Got it. Got it. Okay. And what, take me back to that beginning when he says, you know, I'm going to go into this world. Do you, did you have any history of the first responder world lens in your family? Any idea what you're getting into? No, not at all. Um, and when we first met, he was pretty open with the fact that he was, doing school, getting a degree. And then upon that degree, he was going to apply to the fire department. So it wasn't, it wasn't a shock. Right. Um, No, no one in my family or really my circle from um, Vancouver were firefighters. So I, I was really going in blind, but I was like, firefighters are cool. It's pretty hot job. They have a (laughs) calendar. Wow. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And tell me like knowing that that in, in, you know, includes. <laughs> right. Right. And I, and that's the thing I want to ask you a little bit about, like, if I take you back to the beginning of that, um, you, you know, how much did you know, uh, how much did you, I mean, I, I know it's been a number of years now, I mean, almost two decades kind of, but was there any conversation with, with the spouses? Was there any indication even for you, Lauren, about like, okay, this is a massive commitment as a family in terms of shift work and, you know, all of the things that potentially you're going to be, you know, put yourself into. Um, how prepared do you think that, you know, people were even back then? Uh, not very well. Um, it's it's come a long ways in the, you know, the 16 years that we've done this and, and we've been doing this. And that's, you know, partly what my new job is now is to help prepare individuals and families for the challenges they're going to face on and off the job, right? Because I mean, when I started back then, it was just kind of like a, a quick, hey, just so you know, you're going to see some fucked up shit, but you just deal with it and carry on. And so, and and it wasn't like, you know, as you know, Jody, it's it's a lifestyle commitment. And not only for the individual who's putting on the boots every day to do the work, but for the family that's behind the scenes that's doing, you know, even more work in a lot of ways, right? Like it's a family lifestyle commitment. Um, and it takes a ton of work from both sides and a ton of communication from both sides to be able to make that work. Um, you know, we face a ton of problems um, on and off the job as individuals and as families. 
uh, when we sign up to do this, this type of very difficult work. Um, so it's really important that people are aware of that when we start this journey, that, you know, this isn't your typical job and you're not going to have your typical problems that come along with it. Um, so it's really important that they're aware of that and they can sort of front load their lives a bit to be ready to deal with some of the problems that they're, they're going to face because it's not if, um, it's when you're going to face, face these things. Right. So, um, do you think, yeah, I, I love that. And do you think any amount of prep would have helped? Do you think that, you know, because, you know, people say this, it's going to be difficult when you have a baby, right? And all mm-hmm. of us are like, yeah, I bet it fucking is that for you, obviously not for me. You know, I mean, I thought, I mean, I, I often say it like this. I had, a, my husband has, <laughs> we had six degrees between us. Mine, I had 10 years at the Alberta Children's Hospital on a locked psychiatric inpatient unit for kids. The first time they put our baby in my arms, I was like, Art, what the fuck is happening? I'm out, I'm out, I'm out. I don't know. And it's three o'clock in the morning and we're rocking the baby on a bowel of, you know, those bouncy balls you're supposed to do your ab crunches on and milk is shooting everywhere. Aaron's <laughs> crying. That's my husband. And I remember like he said, he said to me tears. I was like, how do dumb people do this? <laughs> and true. so I, I wonder that a little bit about in this world of first responder families, right? Because it's like, you know, we, we keep talking about we have to do better, we have to prep more, we have to do all those things. But it's like, there's so much about this ride that I wonder, you know, you you could say it. Yes, you got shift work and you'll see fucked up shit and whatever. But like, you know, you're young, you're in love, you're two big strapping healthy humans that you're like, bring it, bitches. Yeah. Huh? Yeah. yeah like, I don't what, think what it was think? really ever a conversation. Like, it wasn't ever like a thought for us to cautiously go into that we just okay you know, it was Lauren's dream it was it was it happened really quickly honestly yeah yeah and it just it, yeah it wasn't even a conversation what it's, do you think oh sorry go ahead Lauren I was gonna say it's just so interesting now because I mean when you reflect on everything that's where you do a lot of the learning you know in, in, in hindsight with things right and um I, I find it so fascinating looking at it over the journey because I mean you're right in terms of like you don't know what it's like till you till you have your baby right you don't know what that feels like but I think there's a lot of value in front loading your mind to prepare yourself for the next chapter of your life and there are a ton of things that we can do as first responders and as families to prepare us for that yes there's nothing that you can no manual or video or, or whatever to read what it's going to be like the first time you hold a dead child there's nothing that can prepare you for that and one of the analogies, you know, that I like to use um, that I got from a coworker of mine is, you know, you got to jump in the pool at some point, right? You got to jump in, but you can, you know, if the diving board's way up here at 10 meters, there's certain things that we can do to lower that diving board. You can take it down to a seven meter, a five meter, a three meter until you're on the edge of the pool, but you still got to jump in. But if you do all those things beforehand to lower that height that you're jumping from, it's not going to hurt as much when you get in there, yeah. right? And then it's easier yeah. to find that edge and climb back out. Right. Yes. So I love that of, analogy. Yeah, it's, I do. I do, too. I think it's really it's really smart. So it's if we can really front load, um, you know, our minds and prepare ourselves for that next chapter, both as the responder and, and as families, then when those bumps inevitably come or you have to jump in that water, it's you know, it's, it's actually not too bad. It's a little bit warm and it's not as cold as you think it might be. Why don't more infant formula companies use organic, grass-fed whole milk instead of skim? Why don't more infant formula companies use the latest breast milk science? Why don't more infant formula companies run their own clinical trials? 
Why don't more infant formula companies use more of the proteins found in breast milk? Why don't more infant formula companies have their own factories instead of outsourcing their manufacturing? We wondered the same thing. So we made Byheart a better formula for formula. Learn more at byheart.com. And so that, that, then that begs the question for me, right? Like what is some of those graded experiences? What do you think is important if we were to set up for both of you? And I'll, and I'll ask you separately because I think it, although it comes together as a system, it's, you know, two very different roles often. Um, what are some of those things? And, and Lauren, you, you know, you and I have talked about this just briefly um, in terms of, you know, some of the things that we think we can do from a training perspective from like, you know, when you're retired, like, so what are some of those mid-range diving boards scaling look like in what, what are some of the most important things you think um, we can be considering in this world of first responders? Uh, well, I think it's, I think it's about, you know, managing our expectations uh, and really having a strong understanding of what exactly we are getting into, you know, okay. as, as a family, okay. um, you know, and it really, for me, honestly, it really breaks down to the basic fundamentals of communication. Right. And because I've especially learned that, you know, life carries on when you're, when you're a first responder and you're on shift, like you yeah. we do 24 hour shifts now. Right. So I'm gone for 24 hours. Life carries on for Lindsay and the family when, when, when I'm not there. Um, so the, and when you get off shift 24 hour late, 24 hours later, a lot has happened probably in your shift and a lot has happened probably in your partner's shift as well. So it's important to check in with each other as soon as that shift is done to know where each other's at. Right. So it can be as simple as, if I'm coming off shift, I send Linz a text and say, hey, had a busy night last night. I'm coming in at about an eight out of 10. So I'm running pretty hot coming in here, right? And she can reply back and say, okay, sounds good. Night was pretty good on our end. I'm sitting at about a five. So then she knows what I'm coming in at, right? Or vice versa. If her night was shit and she tells me she's at a nine out of 10 and mine was a seventh, then I know I've got to manage my expectations in terms of what I can get out of her, right? I and love just it. Adjustments, right? Because what has typically happened traditionally is as first responders, we do not talk, right? We hold it back because I don't want to talk about the, the nasty things that I said or not said, the nasty things I had to do, you know, on the shift. And I don't want to put her through that or, or, or talk about it. So, right. And, and the, and what I love about that is that it's not because, and generally speaking, this is, I think the perception that happens is not because you're trying to hide things. Now there's well, the guise of confidentiality, which is very true for people. There is for historically, you know, this idea, I can't talk, I can't talk, which is, I think, and I'll just say this bullshit. Um, because again, there is stuff that is private within the sanctity of our relationships. Yep. But I think, um, secondly, I think the intention often when we stop talking is so good because the vicarious trauma is something we would never want to evoke on the people we love the most. And Absolutely. so we have this very scary language where we're saying to first responders, talk, talk to your families, tell them your things. And they're like, are you fucking kidding me? What this feels like in my body right now, after I just had a rape and a suicide and a whatever tonight and a, and a big ma messy MBA. The last thing I'm going to do is come home and put any of this on the people I love the most. Right. So then yeah. it just stays internal. And sometimes then that perpetuates itself, you know, and historically I think that's part of the issue. And so part of the question, I love this communication idea, which is not necessarily about here's the specifics, mm -hmm. but here's how bad it was. Yeah. It was a nine. Yeah. Yeah. And it's and taken us, a lot of years to get there for sure. Like, Has it? Yeah. Tell yeah, me about that. For, for years, Lauren would come home and he wouldn't talk about anything, which is fair. Like our rule, yeah. you don't have to tell me what happened. You just tell me that you're going through something and you're processing something. 
And I don't need to know the specifics, but for years he'd come home and he'd be, he'd be in his head for two or three days. And then three days later, he'd say, you know, sorry, I've been, you know, so closed off or such a dick. I, you know, the other night at shift, this happened. And then it would be good. But three days later, in those three days, it take, you know, you're, you're, I'm processing, okay, did I do something like, does he, not, he doesn't want to tell me this, you know, you go through all the emotions while you're trying to, trying to continue on with life. So now it's just, you know, I, I'm not ready to talk about it, but I had a, a really shitty night. Um, just want to give you a heads up that that's what I'm processing. And then he'll, and then he'll come to me when, when he's ready to talk about it. Okay. I love but that. It has taken a long time to get there. And nobody told us that when we first got in. Yes. Nobody prepared for that. For sure. So take me back to that because I, I often think about these young couples, or even you know, you you have this now this this second entity in your marriage that is not unlike many professions. I mean, I think we think about you know some things, you know, physicians and police officers and um, you know social workers, right? There is that sort of thing where we would see some kind of things or hear some kind of things during the day. Um, and how we communicate that becomes really, I think the key. And so if you were to sort of have those conversations and I'm, I know you do Lindsay with like, you know, new couples getting into the fire service, like what are some of the things you think as an organization, um, they can do differently? What are some of the things that you would ever say to, to, to new couples, you know, whether you've been married for five minutes or you know, 15 years because after, you know, we're, we're hiring older these days sometimes. Yeah. Right. And so you're, you're often not, you know, just young and trying to like, fuck it, figure it out. You actually are coming in now with managing kids and timelines and second careers. Right. Yeah. So what, well, I mean, is there a universal thing that you would be like, here's, here's the few things like just a head's fucking up. I think, um, I, it took me a long time to realize that it's okay that he's not wanting to tell me what happened. Like there's some, there's some safety in, in his crew and him only knowing what happened. But I used to, I used to own it being like, you know, he's, he doesn't want to tell me what he saw. And I think I used to take that personally when it's not like, I don't, I don't need to know what happened. I just need to know that he has been through something that he's processing. So I think that, that would have, it would have been a good heads up to know <laughs> that it's okay that he's not telling me everything and it's okay that some things stay within his crew and, and processing that. Um, but I think I, I would talking to new um, first responder couples, I would, I would encourage them to, to use, you know, the num- number system just to check in. It comes down to basic communication. Like here, I'm going through this. I'm struggling or, Hey, I had a really great night. This, you know, I'm ready. I'm ready to crush this day. What do you need? Yeah. Cool. What, what is, um, is there ever been a time where he's told you stuff that you wished he hadn't? No, no, no. There, there's, there's this one, one time that I like it vividly remember when I'm like, when I, when I think about, if he would have told me this would have been better. And it was one of our best friend's birthdays. And he, the night before he went out, he had probably one of the worst calls of his whole career. And he came home, didn't say a single word. We went out for brunch for our best friend's birthday and he was quiet. He was grumpy. And I took it as like, 
can you stop being such a dick? Like you're, you're being you're a embarrassing grumpy, me. Okay. A grumpy old man. Look at it, Kyla's husband. She, yeah. you should be more like him. Okay. He's totally. funny, He's funny and, then, and friendly. And then Lauren's processing the fact that I'm dragging him to a brunch after what he had just been through. And he has to sit there putting on his happy face. Mm. while we have no idea what he's just experienced. Yeah. And he's kind of turning it against us being like, these people have no idea what I just experienced. Yeah. So like we're going to sit here and celebrate a birthday when this group of people that I had just served, I know are having the shittiest day of their life. Like I, I, isn't this the truth? And I, and I think, you know, just as you're speaking, I was thinking about this, like context is the prerequisite for empathy. Mm -hmm. And I have a wish sometimes for any training facility across our country, whether it like fire EMS, 911, police, I wish we could tattoo that at the beginning of training. Context is a prerequisite for empathy. So when you want your crew to understand why you're shitty, the story is critical. When you want the people you love to understand why, it doesn't have to be, I saw this or the jammies didn't, you know, whatever. Like Mm -hmm. it doesn't have to be the specifics, but my gosh, isn't that powerful? Context is the prerequisite. And when you can just look at me and say, honey, I just saw some things that I can't shake. And so mm-hmm. I'm coming with you, but I promise you, I won't be all there. Yeah. And, yeah. and that's all it, I mean, I, I mean, both of you, and I know this about many marriages, um, you know, we'd kill for each other. And mm-hmm. oftentimes it's the story in our heads that get in the way of that, right? It's the assumptions, the unchecked stories about um, he's just being a dick because he doesn't even like my friends. And you know what? Fuck, maybe you should get better friends. All right. <laughs> because these are my friends and they're my, they're not you know, like, those yeah. are going on in our heads. Oh yeah. This is what I love about couples therapy, right? Is that it is just really a, a conversation in both of your heads that we like just unfold a little bit. And most of the time you're like, you, what? No, I was, what? And so it's so, it feels so simple when you say this, it truly is about communication. Um, yep. And people are like, rah, 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 yeah, blah, blah. but I love this real tangible place around like if you don't want to use emotions, right? Because this is also mm-hmm. true in this, and this is a stereotype, but I'll mm-hmm. tell you, it's very, very true in this world of first responders. Um, women tend to have much more of an emotional language. And so you might be equipped with things saying like, I feel like super disappointed, or I feel like I completely let that whole team down last night. I feel like such an imposter. I didn't have a fucking clue how to hook up that hose or whatever. I don't know. You might say, I feel like just shitty, right? And so it becomes really hard to then understand, what, what, what do you mean shitty, right? Versus when there's more words like a frustrated, disappointed, I, I, I just feel like I've let everybody down. It's so much easier to sort of I'm empathize with that sometimes. It's so much easier to empathize with that sometimes. And so this piece of communication, even if we start with the numbers, you get to know with your partner what a 10 means for Lauren. You get to know what a 10 means for Linz, right? And sometimes a two is like, I mean, this is a guy that downplays everything. So like, fuck, he's saying five, we're fucked. <laughs> it's going to be a bumpy day. You, you know what I mean? But I, that's what I love about, you know, your own respective stories is that you sort of get there. My God, I love that, you guys. That's amazing. No, like, and, now- and, like, and like I said at the beginning, and, and it, it all comes down to that basic raw ground roots communication, Right. Because how unfair is it of me to not tell her how I'm feeling and then expect her to be able to find the answer? Like there's in terms of what I need, right? Like that's impossible. 
you know, and, and so like totally setting her up for failure. And then I get pissed off when she can't figure it out. Like what a dick move, right? Like oh. that just doesn't, you know, and it's like, we're, we're it's taking us 16 years. To get we're there, so though. good. <laughs> we're so good as, as first responders at that, you know, functional disconnection where we can functionally disconnect and go do whatever we need to do on scene. We really struggle, you know, myself included with that functional reconnection, getting back to your family and normal life. Right. But and, that's where the communication is that bridge. Oh, and, and like, and here's why it's so critically important. Okay. So I'll tell you, this is what I was just thinking about when you're saying this, what happens to your ability to make eye contact with another person when you feel grief, when you feel like you failed somebody, when you are scared, when you have a, a nauseous feeling sitting right here, right? Mm -hmm. What happens to your ability to look at people? It's you can't, fucked. You're keeping stones. Yeah. Yeah. And so now we think this is the other thing that is uh, added into this piece, right? You have the story that he doesn't want to tell you because he doesn't think you can handle it or it's part of the inner circle. And because you're not a member, you don't get to see the inner circle. Like, does he love them more than he loves me? And like, is there somebody at work that he, oh, he feels cut. <gasps> and so then I'm not looking at you, you son of a bitch. And then, and then this piece is like, I'm, I'm having flashbacks or I can still smell the gasoline or you know, whatever is happening. And so it, the last person I want to look at is the person I love the most. Yeah. And it is just, I think I, I talk about this all the time is that, you know, the only thing that we're wired for is connection, but the hardest thing we will ever do is look into the eyes of the people we love. And when we talk about this world of first responders, the, the, the ability to look at each other becomes even further compromised, just given the nature of the work. And you also don't look at each other when you're tired. So we have a difficult job. We have um, uh, shift work. And we have a difficulty sleeping after shift work because when you've seen really big things and your body's like, be fucking ready, we're going to fight the world. And then, oh, you're off shift, so your body's supposed to know that now and it's time for rest? It, no, it, do it doesn't know that. Yeah. Oh, and the also- Taken out, get to work. <laughs> right, and also hockey practice is at eight, bitch, so get up, mm -hmm. you know? <laughs> So it's like, care. right. And so I just, I mean, I, I love that your role, Lauren, is this, I love Lindsay, that you are stepping in to this so much into this place, because I think that it is, it isn't going to take a whole bunch to be able to assist, um, first responder families in, in bridging some of those gaps because the number one focus, and you said it is this ability to just get them to look at each other again. If you can do that before and after every shift to the best of your ability, even if it's on a FaceTime, even if you want to fucking throw punch each other, it is that ability, like not literally, which anyway, no, but it, it's, this <laughs> idea. it's that idea, right? That nobody knows your story better than the two of you. Mm -hmm. Nobody knows your story. And even if you individually come to therapy, this is what I say all the time when I'm doing couples work, even if you individually come to therapy, man, there's not the magic that I can create when the two of you actually get in the same physical space of each other. Because even if I know every piece of your story, what I don't know is what he sees when he looks at you. And what I don't know is what you see when you look at him. Because there's so much about your story that is written without words. Mm -hmm. And I think that, you know, it's, it, it is that piece of being able to just slow down long enough and be brave enough to look. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And I think if there was ever a place that we could sort of talk to more in this sort of wellness role, and we talked a little bit about this, right? How do we spend more time like that? How do we encourage families to spend more time like that? Because it's the hardest fucking thing, man. It's easier. It's easier not to. And 
And what do you think of that? I, yeah, I, I totally, I totally agree with that. And um, yeah, I mean, they're the most important person in your life, right? And 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 being able to spend time, like you said, that intimate time together is is of critical importance, right? To to forge those connections and keep moving forward and support each other in whatever it is you're dealing with. And because you know, as you know, our our story transitions outside of that world as 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 a first responder, right? And so we've needed those moments where we can actually actually fucking lean on each other, you know, through actual hard shit. Um, because when you get into those really sticky and thick situations, gosh, you lean on each other more than you could have ever imagined, right? You say those vows when you get married, but it's like, okay, in sickness and in health, geez, we're actually going to see what that really means and what that really looks like and what that really fucking feels like. Mm -hmm. And that's incredible, right? When you can actually have those experiences. uh, I listen, uh, I tell me a little bit more. When did, when did that this journey start, what was it like to hear those words in the beginning, uh, to really healthy people in this family system? Uh, I bet, uh, I'm going to guess you didn't see it coming. Do I answer that or me? <laughs> you, you can answer that. <laughs> so, so yeah, it was in May of, uh, 2021. So just at the tail end of, you know, the COVID pandemic. So things are still, you know, pretty bizarre and weird and, and winding down or whatever. And then um, yeah, we, you know, our kids were five and two at the time and, you know, we're looking forward to the pandemic and ending and carrying on with life and, and getting back to normal. And I was having a little bit of, you know, kind of super minor abdominal issues. And so, um, uh, after speaking to a friend of mine, who's a doctor in Toronto, he suggested I go to the local hospital here in Calgary, just because they can fast track things in terms of scans and testing and blood work and all that sort of stuff. And he said, it's probably a hernia, just go get it checked out. So Went there, um, you know, it was a Sunday night. I went there Sunday night. Uh, it was Mother's Day. Buddy. After, after the kids <laughs> went down um, and I just beetled over there. I thought I'd be home in an hour. And that was a Sunday night. I ended up not getting home until Monday afternoon at four o'clock, um, you know, with lots of tests and all this sort of stuff. And, and yeah, that's when the problems began. They told me I had a gigantic tumor in my, my abdomen. And so I had to sort of chew on that all night while Linz was at home with the kids. Um, and then we we started the process and and yeah, it's been two and a half, whatever, yeah, two and a half years, I guess now that we've been doing it. So um, that's when it all started. And, and, you know, we're happy to say we're, we're still here. We're still grinding. Um, we're still, still in the thick of it. Um, I had two uh, massive surgeries, one in, in June of 2021. And then one actually a year ago today, as a matter of fact, I had my second, um, second surgery. I realized that this morning because today was supposed to be the day that I, I celebrated cancer free for a year, but things changed. Um, and it came back again for a third time last October. Um, so now I'm in the middle of, you know, a treatment program and we're, we're doing our best with that. So, um, we're just, we're trying our best. Um, and you know, we're leaning on each other and our incredible support network, um, to work through this and, and to face these challenges as they come up. Yeah, I bet. I, Lindsay, when you, gosh, I don't, I don't even know the question. Um, hardest part so far. Um, the hardest part was day, day one, like that, that huge pivot. Like you ask if we saw it coming, of course we didn't see it coming. He was a fit 38, were you 37 year old? Oh yeah. Right before he turned 38. Um, he was a fit um, 37 year old man. Of course we didn't see it coming. Um, when he went to the hospital, I truly did believe he had a hernia. And when he came home, I took one look on his face and I 
I fell to the ground and knew something was drastically wrong. Um, but once we came to terms with it and once we, we learned the, the ins and outs of it, we kind of, you know, started to find our footing and, and have always just tried to take it one step at a time and, um, you know, look at it as, as positively as possible. Okay. Okay. If I can slow you down a little bit. So Lauren, you sat in the hospital by yourself knowing this, um, and you just held that for a little bit, just you. Yep. Uh, tell me about those moments. What, what happens when, um, and I'm asking you this specifically because, uh, I, my own understanding of this cancer journey, which has been far too many already in my world, uh, is that it is so lonely and that it is so isolating and so many people want to help and the journey and all of those kind of things. Um, but like, fuck, it's not fair. And when you're in your own head, it's nobody else's body that you have to reflect on those things. What, what were, do you remember what it was like? I, I bet you remember every yeah. moment, but what, tell me about those, the, that initial sort of come to Jesus. Uh, it was, uh, it was awful. You know, mm-hmm. it, it, it really truly was because I went over there with, you know, in my mind, uh, you know, a basic problem. And now that problem has been escalated into something that's severely life-threatening. And now I hold that news and that information and nobody else knows that except me. And I'm, I'm the one that's going to break everyone's heart. I'm the one that, that's got to share that and give them that feeling that I have right now. And that is the, that was so unbelievably painful. And that, you know, relates back to our world as a first responder. When we know that information about a patient or a scene, and it's like, you have to give that to that family. You're this weird key holder and gatekeeper of this information and knowledge. And it's such a weird space to sit in. And I've now had to sit in it two or three times because when I get that information that it's come back, I have to relive and re-experience and redo that and re-break people's heart. And to me, that that's the worst because um, that's been the most painful thing for me on this this journey. I don't care about the treatment. I don't care about the surgeries. I don't, I don't care about any of that. I can handle all that. I can't handle the the, the pain and stress and worry that it causes, um, you know, people that are cheering for me. And to be the one that provides that 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 information is is really difficult for me. Um, and so, yeah, I, I vividly recall sitting there for hours thinking, geez, how am I going to tell my wife this? She's at home with my kids and I'm not going to be able to protect them from this. This is, this is so much bigger than I am. And like, this is, this is going to fucking sting. And so I, I had to chew on that all night, you know, in terms of figuring out how I'm going to deliver that message. And the reality is when I came home, my, my eyes delivered that before my voice could. Right. So yeah, this uh, one knows you. Yeah. yeah you know, and it was, it was pretty easy to, to, to read that. And but, you know, like Lynn said, we sort of, you know, uh, as a family, we, we, we took this on. You don't have a choice. And, um, you know, we got all the information and our, our support network is uh, beyond incredible. And, and they haven't left our sides since then. And, and, you know, and they continue to carry us, carry us through this as, as we navigate this, right? So um, we've also learned, you know, despite, you know, these incredible challenges from this, your life can still be filled with, you know, gratitude and abundance and joy. And it's all, de- all depends how you choose to face this journey. You have a distinct choice, right? And, you know, you mentioned it's not fair, but w- like what's fair got to do with it? This is our reality. 
And we have a choice on how we're going to move forward with this. And that choice is ours, right? So um, that's the decision that that we make, you know, when, when we face this. And it's the decision we continue to make is, you know, we're, we're still trudging through the mud here. You know, as <clears> you're speaking, I, I'm thinking about um, the work of Dr. Paul Conti. And I, uh, I've spent a lot of time in this world of mental health trying to figure out, you know, how, how do people build resiliency? How do you you know, survive war and famine and bury your own children and figure out untimely deaths. Like what the fuck is the deal? And he talked about two things uh, that are the cornerstones of mental health, agency and gratitude. And it feels like shitty. I, I think it's a stepwise process, right? Because I think that agency, uh, gratitude becomes like this bullshit sort of like, I'm just so thankful for fucking sunshine. When you're like, <laughs> you know what? Fuck you. And, or, you know, you watch other hockey dads, you know, just uh, skating and being at all the things and you're, you know, there, there is those moments, I'm sure I'm going to put words in your mouth where you're like, you know what? Fuck you. And you probably aren't like that. I'd be like, you know what? Oh, I bet you're excited about Christmas bitches. <laughs> but I, but I, I don't, I'm just maybe guessing you yeah. people are much nicer than me. Uh, but I, but I think that when I think about agency, it is that sense of like, okay, just what you said, which is so profoundly important. What the fuck do I have control over in this moment? Right? What, what is it that I have control over? And it really then focuses on this internal sense of like joy. And I, I know our mutual friend, Jess Jansen, uh, you know, wrote a book about this and, uh, and I, I would have titled it joy is a fucking choice. And, you know, we, we've talked about how she should probably change the book title, uh, <laughs> but you know, even we talked about this, even as she sat in the front row of the funeral uh, for her baby boy, um, there were moments of joy mm -hmm. and it is that agency that becomes the piece that then internally focuses. Um, the second step of course, is that gratitude piece, which it allows you then to look outside of you yeah. because I think we get a lot of, you know, stuck into, okay, I have control over the next treatment. I have control over our decision about what we do with this. I have control over, you know, whether we celebrate Christmas or whether we don't or what, you know, whatever, whether I'd be mad at the doctors or mad at whatever. Um, and then the next step is, okay, that gratitude piece is, okay, but what do we have in this moment? And I don't know if I've seen two people live this so fully than the two of you. And I, I, I mean, again, as, as unfair as this is, this is just the outside looking in. Um, but I, I, I don't know if you know how remarkable you are. And I don't know if you also know how many people are watching. I, I think that there is so little hope in this world some days. And I believe so much about this lens that you can't tell anybody how to do it. You have to show them. And I think, you know, as I watch you just celebrate with your kids and, you know, you tell me, yeah, I got to go to this hockey coaching camp because I got to, I mean, I'm fucking coaching, you know, the, <laughs> like, you know, and that that ability to still live when there is so much looming, I would imagine, in the backs of your minds. Mm -hmm. um, tell me, I guess, you know, where on those really difficult moments, what what helps the most? Is is there anything? Do you just have to feel them all? Well, we process those differently. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God, that's awesome that you know that. Tell me, tell me about that. Um, yeah, on the hard days, like Lauren's really good at acknowledging his feelings and sitting in, sitting in them. 
and really mm -hmm. facing those feelings. I'm really good about, okay, I, this is a hard day. I'm, I'm feeling all the feels. What do I need to do to make myself feel better? I know, I know the things that make me feel better. I know I need to move my body. I need to, um, go hang out with girlfriends. I need to, you know, go to a movie with the kids. Those are the things that make me feel better. I'm really good at moving past them. Lauren's really good at acknowledging and sitting in it. Um, we, we like to encourage each other to do vice versa. <laughs> Maybe not so, not so well sometimes, but, um, I just, I, I always go back to the fact that, um, you can't live in the what ifs it very early in this process. Um, Lauren's best friend, Joel sent us this note that said, instead of focusing on the what what ifs, like the negative, you know, what if I don't make it through this? What if, what if, you know, the worst thing happens? Let's focus on all the things, the what ifs of the positives. You know, what if this opens doors that you never thought would open? What if the, what if this brings people into your life that you never thought would possibly be there? What if it shows you all the amazing people that are sitting at your table? What if it brings you closer than you ever thought was possible and you know what all those things have happened and we i think we we go back to that every day like what if what if it all works out <laughs> and that's like we have it written on our whiteboard what if it all works out i mean you can't you can't sit and live in the what ifs because you drown in them you you physically drown in them and no amount of worrying takes takes away what is actually going to happen. And it just ruins the joys of today. Like we truly try to live. That's, that's so much easier said than done in, in the thick of it and the hardship. But, but honestly, like what if it all works out? And that's, that's what we hold on to every day, every day, every day. And I, and, and, and when we decided, sorry, no. <laughs> when we decided to share this journey, um, Lauren's a phenomenal writer, as you know, I, my background's in photography, so we were like, this is the perfect opportunity. We're two of the perfect people to, to really put a voice to this because you said it earlier, as soon as you get that diagnosis, it's so fucking lonely. It's lonely for the patient. It's lonely, lonely for the support person. It, you instantly feel alone for different reasons. And yes, we have each other, but he's processing different things that I'm processing. So honestly, putting it, Putting it public is very therapeutic. We've we've gotten to meet and chat with so many people that we wouldn't have had the opportunity to 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 meet and to chat with, and it's brought so many amazing people into our lives. It's it's shown us who's sitting at our table because trust us, we have some amazing amazing people sitting at our table helping us get through this because it's it's not just the two of us. We have we have an incredible support network. And all that probably wouldn't have happened if, if we didn't, you know, put it out there. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. And one of the questions I have is, you know, I think that, you know, when you say it's easier said than done, um, I, I wonder about, do you ever give yourself permission to, to just feel it? Do you ever give yourself permission to have those moments where you're like, fuck it, I'm going to curl up in a ball. Like, I, I don't know. Like, do you, do you have those times or do you fight that really hard? I think I have them more than, than Lindsay does. Um, I'm an emotional person and I'm okay with that. Um, and, I love and, that. I... 
Yeah. And, and, and I feel it, you know what I mean? And I feel it and I accept that and I let it go. Um, and then, but I also recognize it's, it's not okay to stay there. Right. So it's like, okay, feel it, pick yourself up, get back to fucking work and do this because, um, I, I recognize, you know, that we don't know, you know, what, what the time clock looks like for us. Right. I recognize that. So this, what we have right here, right now is our time. Right. And this, regardless of how this shit plays out, this is a defining moment in our lives. And with our kids being so young, they are going to look back and see how we handled this and our friends handled this and our family handled this. And this is our chance to do it right. And so when I get up every morning and put my pants on one leg at a time, just like you do, I have to make this choice to go out there and, and go for it, right? Because I don't know what tomorrow looks like, but I do know what today looks like. And today looks pretty fucking awesome. So I'm going to go out there and do it, right? And, and because this is the time that we have, right? And so we have to make the most of it because if I want this story and our story to be, you know, have multi-generational impact, I better do a damn good job of fucking writing it. Right. And so that's, that's how we do it is go out because at, at one point when we grow up, you know, and, and I learned this from listening to your story, at one point we truly learn who our parents actually are. Right. And the day that happens, I want my kids to be damn proud of us. Right. And to say, Holy cow, like mom and dad went through some serious shit. And they still gave us a normal life where we were surrounded by love and all these incredible things. And I want them to just be proud at, at that moment. Right. So in order for that to happen, that's right here, right now in this, in this defining moment. Right. So we got to do our best. Right. And I just want to know that, you know, whenever my story ends, you know, God willing, it's several years from now, whenever my story ends that we did the best we could. Right. And help some people along the way and you know like i said live a life of gratitude and abundance and and, and joy and conscious decisions to do that um and and find ways to be useful right and, and it's all those all those wonderful wonderful things right so um that, that's how we're trying to trying to play this trying to play this hand you know i as you were talking i was sitting here thinking about what it's going to be like for your babies to watch this someday Yep. When you're all sitting around raising grandkids together, doing all the things because you're going to kick the shit out of this. Uh, I I think that I can't imagine how proud they're going to be. And I I think about that all the time when I think about this for my kids, you know, uh, because you're right. Cancer puts things into perspectives so fucking fast. Hey, like we can have a million problems in the day. And when your health becomes an issue, you only have one problem. Yep. And, and I think what I love about your sentiment is just what this has done to make you live so fully and so present that I wish so many people in this moment listening to this will just do, regardless of whether you're fighting a life threatening illness or whether you understand no matter what your babies are watching. Yeah. yeah. And if you don't have your own personal babies, your nieces, your nephews, the kid down the street, um, how do we navigate this world? It's really about you stay as fucking connected as you can to the people who are relentlessly pursuing connection to you. And you serve this world like it's your job. Because mm -hmm. some of us feel like there's maybe a timeline that's more apparent than others, but but we're all on the clock. Yeah. Right? And and I just, I just love I like I can't believe how lucky your kids are to have chosen the two of you um, because navigating, I mean, what, I mean, Jesus, the two of you can accomplish this. Can you imagine? 
Can you imagine what these two have ahead of them? <laughs> yeah. My gosh, my gosh. Um, okay, so I love I love that the most. Um, next, uh, in the next little bit for you for your business, I want to talk a little bit about that, Lynn. What what has this done in terms of you know capturing moments, representing sort of this place in social media? You both have this beautiful sort of collaboration of like. Lauren can write to save his like world and you uh, can capture these images and putting those together. And this has now become the business. Like what, how has this inspired you, your creativity? Do you, do you see an opening there for you when is, is this giving you a different perspective on the world? Absolutely. I think like in terms of family photography, it, everyone always, you know, wants photos to represent this perfect family and this perfect time and this, and you know, like, Sally doesn't have any food on her face and, and Bobby doesn't have stitches on his forehead. Can you Photoshop that off? But when reality comes, like, like every family needs to have photos in every stage of life. So it don't, don't wait until you've lost the weight. Don't wait until, you know, Sally's hair goes back after she cut it with, cut it from scissors. (laughs) You know, every yes. family needs photos, regardless of what what you're going through in the world. And I've had an incredible opportunity to meet a lot of oncology families that I've had the opportunity to shoot with, even when they're going through the hardship. You know, even though your kid has a feeding tube and has no hair, let's do family photos because it's so important. And you know, these photos that are sitting behind us are are taken by a good friend of ours and she took it the night before we went in to find out uh had the night before we went in to the first appointment at Tom Baker to find out you know what what was actually happening with Lauren there was so many emotions going through our heads and they're my favorite family photos ever so I think it's changed my perspective on family photography because I encourage people to get family photos done in the good times and the bad times through everything. And, you know, how much those, those photos you'll cherish, even though you think you think you won't because, you know, you're going through the shit at the time and, and yeah, photos are not just for the good times. And, and I think that that has changed my perspective for my business so much Um, in terms of, sharing Lauren and I's story. I mean, it's, we have a story to tell, so let's collaborate and do it, do it together. Cause that's what we love to do. So. Oh, uh, and that is like, you can feel it. You can feel it. I often talk about my Rhea who lost her battle of cancer at 44 and um, she left two babies behind. Nevi was four and Lucan was seven at the time. They went to Disneyland and had a photographer. So that was one mm-hmm. of the, you know, the things that we, we talked really uh, importantly about doing and it was so critically important to, I, I love every single image that was there. And, and we just had our family photos done last week. And I was like, I felt such like a chunky monkey in my fucking, who do I think I was at 48 years old, strapping on some leather brown pants and a fucking body suit. <laughs> Don't, I mean, what is wrong with you? And there's all these photos that we got back. I was like, you know what? You're fucking welcome. You're welcome, kids. You're welcome. And I think, I think that's the point that I love so much about this is that you're capturing your story and Mm -hmm. it is just so critically your own. And none of us know, I mean, again, the interesting thing to me about cancer as, as shitty as it is, is it gives you that instant perspective on a timeline. 
And you can say, you know, yes, those were the days we knew the next day we were going to get come back in and get a plan, or that was the time when, or this was the moment when. Uh, man, I, I, I just love that, that it is all a part of a journey and we're just walking each other home. That Ram Dass mm-hmm. quote, uh, man, it just defines everything that I do when I think about every single day. And I, I just got to tell you guys, thank you so much for this. You, you are, you are some of the most profound walkers I've ever met. Uh, you are walking so many people home. And I think sometimes the mistake we make, and I, you know, I, I thought about this with Rhea, that I was, I was doing the walking for her. She, uh, she was the walker and, and you're just doing that for so many people, including me. Um, thank you for giving me just this gift of your time and your insight. And I, I just cannot wait to watch all of the things for many generations that your story and your family, um, is going to do and has already done for people. So from the bottom of my heart, thank you uh, for being so brave and for giving me just so relentlessly uh, all of both of you. Thank you so much for having us. Yeah, thank you. Uh, thank you so much, Jody, for allowing us, you know, your time and sp- sharing your time and space to to come here. And um, and thank you for all all that you do for, you know, your community and our community and all the people that you help to. You're such a wonderful helper. And I'm so humbled and and honored to to learn from you and and, and follow your lead on so many things, and uh, I'm just so thankful for everyone that's that's in our support network that continues to lift us up and and bring us home and carry us there. And um, you know, I don't have a choice but to to kind of lead the way on that. But I've sure got some of the fucking best people in the world cheering us on to get us across that finish line. So um, Thank you so much for for being one of them and 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 having this moment today. I really really appreciate it. Um, yeah, I'm a bit. I'm your biggest fan forever and uh, <laughs> always in your corner. I'm gonna link uh, everything, uh, folks, to you know not only Lindsay's work and her company, but also the journey that you can follow along on. And um, I I want you guys back again. We're gonna do updates along the way if that's okay by yeah. you. I would love to do that again. Yeah, for uh, sure. If you have if you'd have me and. Um, in the meantime, everybody, I want you to, to listen really, really, really hard to these words today. You got to live everything um, the best that you can in the moment. And you, you got to show people how to do it, just like the Millers. And uh, I can't wait for you to cheer them on along, uh, too, in this community. So uh, take care of each other and you, too. Um, thank you for this. It, it means the world. Thanks so much. Love you. I'm a registered clinical psychologist here in beautiful Alberta, Canada. The content created and produced in this show is not intended as specific therapeutic advice. The intention of this podcast is to provide information, resources, some education, and hopefully a little hope. The Everyone Comes From Somewhere podcast by me, Dr. Jody Carrington, is produced by Brian Siever. Taylor McGilvery and the amazing Jeremy Saunders at Snack Labs. Our executive producer is the one and only my Marty Pillar. Our marketing strategist is Caitlin Benito. And our PR big shooters are Des Vano and Barry Cohen. Our agent, the 007 guy, is Jeff Lonis from the Talent Bureau. And my emotional support during the taping of these credits uh, was and is and will always be my son. Asher. 
ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 